Specialty Stories, session number 66. Whether you're a pre-med or a medical student, or in this case a resident, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine or specialty you will want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information you need to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Whew, I added a couple extra words into that podcast or that intro because today I have a great guest, somebody who is trained as an OBGYN but then did fellowship training in reproductive endocrinology and infertility. And so you may be an OBGYN resident listening to this thinking, is REI, which is known as, is REI right for me? I'm excited to bring on our guest today, somebody who's been out of fellowship training now for a year and a half and is somebody who I've been trying to connect with for a long time. Now I'm talking to Dr. Natalie Crawford and you might know her from Instagram. Her Instagram handle is Natalie Crawford. MD, where she shows the ins and outs of being an REI doc, as well as being a mom and female physician. So in this discussion, we'll talk about what drew her to reproductive endocrinology and infertility. And actually, something different in this episode is why she chose to change residencies. She actually started off in one residency and then changed to OBGYN after her first year. So we have a great story to tell, some great information about reproductive endocrinology and infertility. If that is something you may be interested in, I hope this podcast will help you. Let's go ahead and jump in and find out from Dr. Crawford when she first realized she wanted to be an REI doc. I didn't know it when I was in medical school, so I had a hard time deciding what to go into. And in medical school, I really loved all the fields that involved clinical care of patients. I just really loved taking care of people. I loved my third and fourth year, and I had a hard time deciding. So I had some advice that I should pick a lifestyle-friendly field and something that let me have a lot of variety. And I actually ended up matching into emergency medicine. And I did a year of emergency medicine and before I switched to OBGYN. So I didn't know that I really love continuity of care and taking care of patients for more than just one encounter until I started having very brief encounters with them and feeling like something was lacking as a physician. So when I realized that in my emergency medicine internship, I started seeking out some mentors and realized that I really loved women's health and that led me to OBGYN. And in my OBGYN residency, I really discovered a passion for the endocrine system and for patients struggling with fertility And that led me to do REI. What was it about that infertility and the endocrine uh, issues that patients were having that really drew you to it? One thing I really loved was the relationship with the patients because patients who are struggling to start a family feel like they're missing out on something that most other people can achieve so easily. And you get to have a very strong bond with them right away. I also really love that the encounters are not your brief, normal encounters. My new patient visits with patients are 45 minutes long. I get to understand their whole history, both the male and the female partners, if that's what the couple is composed of. And I get to really understand everything that they've gone through. So having that type of a connection with a patient and trying to see them from a point of 
being very low to being very high with the goal of pregnancy, that really drew me to the field. And the endocrine system, I just find it fascinating how all these hormones work together. There's all these feedback loops. I loved that part of the body, how it was a puzzle that made a lot of sense. So that really sucked me in in a nerdy way. (laughs) You may be the first physician that I've had on this podcast that's switched residencies mid-residency. If you could go back to med student Natalie and and give yourself advice, how, how would you go about figuring out what you wanted before you you went into the wrong specialty? I think it's a great question. One thing I will say is that I always tell med students when I talk to the talk to them now not to be afraid because I was really fearful. I heard many people tell me don't go into OBGYN because of the lifestyle. Oh, if you want to have a family, you're not going to be happy in a surgical field. You don't want to work that hard. You'll never be a wife or a mom or X, Y, Z. And I think that fear really led me to not want to do things, even if I was really drawn to them. And I'll say on the flip end of that, that I didn't really have any mentors who knew me well enough to probably be giving me the best advice. So I would say, don't be fearful of things and let fear drive your decisions, but really listen to what drew you to medicine and and why you really like patient care or research or surgery or whatever you really love. What is it that you love? And then find a mentor who can get to know you well enough and help guide you and, you know, either validate or put away some of those fears so that you can make a decision that really sits with what your goals are. What traits should a physician have or should a med student have as they're seeking out and thinking about REI? So I think it's a hard question because you really have to go, you have to go through OBGYN first. So OBGYN is a notoriously difficult residency. You have to have a really good work ethic. You have to be able to think quick on your feet. You have to like taking care of patients and enjoy variety because there's a lot of primary care, there's surgery, there's some stuff very basic, there's some stuff very emergent. If you like all of those things and you like taking care of women as your base population, those of us who go into REI tend to be a little more particular. We're really OCD. We like details. We're perfectionists, love the OR, microsurgery, um, and really kind of hone in on some of the small minutiae. So if you're somebody who really likes things always to be an emergency or you don't like thinking about the really small details or explaining things to a patient in a really particular way, it may not be the field for you. When you were in your residency thinking about fellowships, were there any fellowships that you were kind of torn between? There were. When I first switched over to OBGYN, I thought that I may want to do a fellowship. I loved the idea compared to in the emergency room where you know just a little bit about everything. I loved that a subspecialist knows everything about a smaller segment. You could really be the expert. You're the end game that your peers come to when they have a question. And I really liked that aspect of being a subspecialist. I liked maternal fetal medicine, which is, you know, high risk obstetrics. So a combination of kind of the mother-baby endocrine system, and a lot of how disease plays into that. And I also liked REI a lot. I was drawn more towards REI because of the deeper relationship with the patient. I felt like they're struggling a little more, and they really rely on their doctor heavily. And also the surgery. It's a much more surgical-heavy side of the field than MFM would be. 
So what kind of patients are you seeing on a day-to-day basis? What are they seeing you for? Yeah, good question. So officially, like my training trains me in both reproductive endocrine and infertility. So the RE side includes puberty abnormalities, abnormalities with the menstrual cycle, so irregular cycles or absence of periods, abnormalities with like hair growth or thyroid or prolactin, and then infertility. But probably 90 plus percent of what I do is all infertility. And the infertility ranges from couples who've been trying to conceive and just can't to couples who know they have a problem. Maybe the woman doesn't have a period or the man doesn't have very much sperm and they know about that. Sometimes it's same-sex couples who just need help to be able to get pregnant because they don't have all the gametes they need. Or sometimes it's couples who are looking to preserve their fertility because they're going to go through cancer treatments or they want to freeze their eggs for social reasons or something like that. Mm. Or pre-genetic determination too. Yeah, we do um, We do PGD, which is pre-implantation genetic diagnosis of embryos, and we also do screening of embryos, and some of this is for known genetic diseases, some of this is just for aneuploidy, and that's a really hot topic in the field right now. Yeah. For students who love the investigative piece of medicine, what percentage of your patients are coming to you with a known diagnosis, or what percentage are coming to you and you actually have to figure out what's going on? I think it varies just for the field overall based on where you practice and what your population is. I have a lot of referring docs in town, so I work with a lot of the generalist OBGYNs, and their style really varies. So if they like infertility, they tend to like to do the workup and then send the patient to me. So they're coming to me essentially with that piece already known. If they don't love infertility as much, they just come right to me and I do the whole workup. So probably half and half for my patients, either coming already knowing what's going on versus coming as a blank slate. I do a lot of patient education on a daily basis. So although I like the investigation of medicine, I really love the counseling. So educating the patients, empowering them to understand how their body works, how their endocrine system works making them understand why we are testing what we test and why we are treating with what we treat and what outcome to expect. What does a typical day look like for you or a typical week? Yeah, it really varies. So I have clinic time and then OR time and then IVF can happen at any time. So my typical week is Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday are full clinic days. And clinic days involve 45-minute long new patient consultations 30 minutes of follow-up visits for patients who are in a variety of treatment stages, and a lot of ultrasound. So I do hands-on ultrasound myself for patients who are beginning or in the process of doing fertility treatments and then making plans for them and adjusting what they do. And so that's how those days look. My days typically start in clinic around 8.30 and then go to about 5. And if we have IVF procedures in the mornings, that can back us up earlier. So we can start as early at five in the morning, but that's not a constant. On Wednesday is my OR day. So the whole morning I operate and then I will go and I have clinic just in the afternoon. And then Friday morning, I just do a half day of clinic in the morning. What does the operation side of things look like? What are you actually doing? So our surgical Our surgeries in this field include largely hysteroscopy, which is minimally invasive surgery inside the uterus, and laparoscopy, so inside the abdomen, looking for endometriosis or ovarian cysts, evaluating the fallopian tubes, the ovaries, the uterus. Um, There's a little, sometimes we do larger surgeries like abdominal myomectomies where we're really 
opening up the abdomen and taking fibroids out of the uterus and sewing the uterus back up in layers. But most of our surgery is day surgery. So 90 minutes or less, quick procedures, but very rewarding. And the, the IVF side of things, just watching you on Instagram, it seems like can happen very early in the morning, on weekends. That's, that seems to be a kind of a, a crapshoot of when that happens. It's very true. So we there's a lot that we can control and there's a lot that we can't control. And so when it goes to how a woman's going to respond to medications and how fast her body will grow to a point of having mature eggs is variable for each woman. And we have elected at our practice, and this is not how every practice does it, but I'm at a practice with just two physicians. So we start our egg retrievals, the taking the eggs out of the body early in the morning so that our clinic won't be impacted and we don't have to reschedule patients as much and we can get home at the end of the day. Some clinics that are larger have a dedicated IVF person that day and so they don't always start that early. The weekends is a trade-off to not doing calls. So my counterparts who are OBGYNs who have 24-hour call in the hospital, I don't ever do that. Um, but I will work right now every other weekend on Saturday. And then if IVF happens, sometimes we'll be here on Sunday too. So that's the trade-off for us. With all of that unknown time, as well as what seems like a, a busy week as well, do you feel like you have enough time for family? It, You know, I have two really little kids. So I think that's a constant struggle. And I think that's going to be the way for, you know, in reality, any working parent to try to balance having toddlers and having a full-time job. Um. Certainly, there's some days where the balance swings more towards the office and the practice, and then other times where the balance swings more towards the family. So I just try to take my breaks where I can get them. I have a lot of flexibility with my schedule, so I'm able to block off three hours in the middle of the day and go to the Valentine's party and do those type of things, and that is really important to me. So even though I may not see them for breakfast every morning, I'm able to be there at the school events, and I'm able to be there for dinner every night, and those things you know, at least to me, help make up the difference right now. What does the path look like to get to become a, a fellowship-trained REI duck? Yeah, so great question. So four years of an OBGYN residency. And if you want to do REI, you're probably doing research during your residency in some of that time because it's a pretty competitive field. You do still have to take your written and your oral OBGYN boards to be board certified in OBGYN. And then you do a three-year fellowship in REI. And your REI fellowship is a much easier lifestyle than the OBGYN residency. It's 18 months of clinical time and 18 months of research. So the research is a huge part of becoming board certified in REI. So you have to have a significant project that gets published and make a thesis and be able to defend it as part of your board certification for REI. So it sounds like you mentioned REI is pretty competitive. What should a student be doing or, or I guess a, even a resident be doing to be competitive for REI? So if I have medical students that reach out to me and they're really interested in REI as a field, I tell them the best thing they can do to set themselves up for success is to go to a residency program that has an REI fellowship. And the reason why is it's a, it's a small field and that's what makes it competitive. So being able to work under people who are known in the field being able to see how they practice, get a letter of recommendation from them, do some research with them. Those things carry a lot of weight. And I think one of the reasons I was able to match into REI is I had a great mentor in residency. And she was a great 
scientist. You know, she did basic science research and that was not at all my passion, but I really respected her. And so I did basic science research in residency. And I think that really helped me stand out by showing my dedication to the field. But going to a place that has those people, that has an REI fellowship will make it a lot easier to match into the field than if you go to a residency that does not. For the osteopathic student listening to this who is now interested in REI, have you seen any negative bias towards the DOs in the world? I have seen a negative bias. It doesn't mean it's impossible, but I think they just have to stand out even more than their allopathic counterpart. I I think that that's fine. Some of the people I respect really highly in this field are DOs, and that distinction really starts to go away You know, once you're in residency and you're working hard. But I think they just do have to prove that it's something they really want to do, which is largely by research or away rotations or something like that, maybe more than their equal counterpart might have to. Yeah. And that's a little bit harder because I think DO schools are are known to be a little bit less research heavy than than their MD school counterparts. Right. Once you are an REI trained, fellowship trained doc, for somebody who's crazy enough to to further subspecialize, are there any other opportunities for that? There are not. So once you've done these seven years of training, you can't really go past that. There's definitely people have their own other interests. So there's certainly some um, people who are interested in you know clinical research or have a master's in public health. I have a master's of science in clinical research that I obtained during my fellowship because I really love clinical research. And some people have a PhD because they love lab work or a master's in business, but there's really not, you know, any further subspecialization after REI. For the general OBGYN or future general OBGYN listening to this, what do you wish they knew about REI to make uh, your job easier to help your patients in the future? I, what I tell every generalist is to know what their own limitations are. If it, if they like infertility, then I, I give them all, you know, in this area, I give them all my cell phone. I say, reach out to me. I'm happy to have them do more and to learn more and to take care of patients in that fashion. But if it's something that they don't like to not feel like they have to do certain things and not be afraid to refer to the subspecialist faster. There's some patients I wish had come to me earlier that I felt like a generalist maybe hung on to them a little longer. And so I always say you can't send them too early. You know, every patient is unique and different and you don't really know what their journey will look like. So if they're wanting to come see the subspecialist, don't hesitate to send them. What other specialties do you work the closest with? Urology would be the next one that we work the closest with because some of the male factors, we need urology's help to extract sperm in the OR or to help evaluate why a man maybe doesn't have the sperm levels that he should. So urology is who else we work with really closely. For somebody who may go into REI with the best of intentions and realize maybe clinical practice isn't the best for them, are there any special opportunities outside of clinical medicine as an REI doc? I mean, the majority would be in research. So typically at an academic institution with research or possibly with pharma, depending on what your interest was. Um, There are not that many other opportunities, at least currently, although it's a new world. You could certainly create your own thing like you have with the podcast. (laughs) To become a podcaster. Exactly. (laughs) What do you know now that you wish you knew before going into REI? That's a good question. I, I really think the one thing that I 
didn't have as good of a handle on is how much the patients really need you. And the one thing I try to focus on on my day is that no matter what's going on at home or if I need to get home for the kids or I have this other deadline, is to just really focus on the couple in front of me because although I see many patients in a given day, for those patients, like sitting right in front of me at that new patient visit, this is the thing they've been dreading. Nobody wants to come into the infertility doctor's office. Nobody looks forward to seeing me. And so trying to establish that relationship really early really takes investing in the relationship from the out, you know, from the very beginning. And I don't think I really appreciated that earlier in my career like I do now. What do you like the most about being an REI doc? Uh, the babies. I love when they bring the babies back. So, you know, seeing a couple who has made it through the journey, I always say it's, it's a marathon. So when they make it to the end and to see that they're either now a family or their family has grown and, and how happy they are and when they can describe that it all makes sense to them now, I can tell a woman who's had five miscarriages that one day it'll make sense, you know, that she'll never have the child she was going to have if any of those had worked out that's really hard for her to visualize until she's holding that baby. So I just I love when they bring the babies back that we've worked so hard to achieve. What do you like the least? I the pregnancy loss, you know, so it's the roller coaster of getting so close to where you need to be, you know, having achieved the pregnancy, see a, a baby grow and then have it not succeed for whatever reason, that heartbreak is kind of exemplified. You know, a lot of patients would say they'd rather just not get pregnant from any given treatment than have to go through the heartbreak of the miscarriage. And when that happens after a long journey, it's really tough. Do you see any major changes coming to the field anytime soon? I mean, so genetics is like the hottest topic in the field right now. So genetic testing of embryos. And as we've gotten better at that, we're starting to open up all new kind of options for testing the uterus because as these genetically normal embryos are not implanting, we're starting to realize it's more than just genetics. You need a good environment. So I don't know how that interplay will work out. It's such a high tech field that I love it. You know, the fact this genetic testing that we're doing now wasn't even done 10 years ago. And the fact that egg freezing was experimental 10 years ago. And now I talk about it on a daily basis. I, I love that. The one thing probably that'll be the biggest on the horizon will be being able to mature eggs inside the lab. Right now you can only mature eggs in the body and you can freeze them once they're mature. And that's how you do egg freezing or for IVF, you can fertilize a mature egg. But if you can take eggs, it's called IVM. So in vitro maturation and get them from the immature to the mature stage inside the laboratory, that'll really change the game for us. It'll allow IVF to be done in a safer way and it will allow more options for fertility preservation for patients who have cancer, especially at a young age. If you had to do it all over again, would you be an REI doc? Oh, 100% yes. I Debatable if I would have taken that extra year to do an emergency medicine residency, but I would definitely do REI all over again. For the student who is just hearing about REI for the first time or, or maybe the one that's listening to this just reaffirming their decision. What last words of wisdom do you have for them to go out in the world and, and make sure this is right for them? I think just you know, find a mentor, ask questions, but believe in yourself. Just because something is competitive doesn't mean that you can't do it. 
You just have to make it a priority and then make sure on your day-to-day basis that when you're making decisions, it's in line with that priority. If you need to do a really good job on a certain test, make sure that is prioritized. Or if you have a meeting set up with a mentor, make sure you're prepared for that. So it's completely attainable. You just have to want it. All right. There you have it. Again, that was Dr. Natalie Crawford. You can find her on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD. And she joined us today to talk all about reproductive endocrinology and infertility, which is a fellowship subspecialty training of OBGYN. So if you're an OBGYN now, or if you think you're interested in OBGYN later, and you want to further subspecialize, reproductive endocrinology and infertility is out there for you if you're interested in it. If you have a suggestion for a podcast episode, I'd love to hear from you. If you know of a physician who you think would be a good guest on this show, email me, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. Find me on Instagram, on medicalschoolhq. Find me on Twitter, I'm on medicalschoolhq. And send me not just their name, but also some contact information so I can easily reach out to that physician and bring him or her on the show to talk about their specialty. I hope you have a great week. I hope this podcast was helpful for you. And I hope to see you next time here on Specialty Stories.